Glowing Older is a coaching firm that supports people to create plans for aging well through facilitating conversation, presenting options, and identifying resources. Glowing Older provides curated, personalized service to help our clients discover what's possible for the third act of life. This is our podcast. Hello and welcome to the Glowing Older podcast, where we interview experts on innovation in the business of aging well. I'm your host, Nancy Griffin, and I'm so happy to have back on the show, Abby Levy, managing partner and founder of Primetime Partners. Welcome back to the show, Abby. So happy to be here, Nancy. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you. Um, We've had you on the show before. So for our listeners, you can listen to episode seven in season eight um, and hear Abby's full background. But for today, can you give us a brief synopsis of your work? Absolutely. I run a venture capital fund called Primetime Partners. We are a three and a half year old venture firm that invests exclusively in businesses that serve older adults. Started the business really with this foundational idea that as our population is aging, and as many of the listeners may know, uh, 25% of the U.S. population is going to be over the age 65 in the next 20 years, and that's up to 30% in other countries And with this seismic shift in our population, we are still missing a lot of key uh, elements of a healthy and happy uh, lifespan or everything from housing and healthcare needs and financial services needs, and that the entrepreneurs in the world can be focused on solutions. And our job is to fund them to fill in uh, those needs. Well, in our last um, conversation, you mentioned financial longevity is a key component to aging well. So can you share a little bit what you mean by financial longevity and what steps people can take to ensure financial stability going into their later years? One of the things I was most um, surprised by as I started to spend a lot of time uh, researching and building expertise in the space is that some something like 50% of Americans are going to run out of money. Uh, And that is not just because lifespans are increasing, but it's really because we don't have the same infrastructure we did when there were pension plans and multi-generational houses where people lived. We don't have the same structures anymore that allow for people to independently live, um, you know, to, to their lifespan potential. And so that's when we talk about financial longevity. It's really a question that people should start thinking about as early as possible to make sure that they are preparing for a, a long life, you know, almost like the hundred year life. So some of the things that uh, we talk most about is one of the number uh, most impactful things you can do is your retirement savings. Um, you know, it is, as I like to say, one of the only areas of free money we have, which is between uh, growing tax free and potentially a corporate match if your employer offers one, maximizing uh, how much money you put into your 401k is probably the most effective thing you can do for your financial longevity. Uh, a second thing is to work longer. Uh, this notion of you know forced retirement is kind of going out the window. 70% of Americans want to work longer uh, and 13 million uh, older adults are in the workforce. So this is something where even if it's not full-time, thinking about multiple careers, in fact, David Brooks has written a book about this. There's tons of... of, uh, of kind of in the news right now around what your next career could be. And then of course there's insurance products. Only 11% of Americans have long-term care insurance. 
And most people think that long-term care or the need for in-home care is paid for by Medicare. It's not in most cases. And so there are these kind of hidden costs of aging, everything from home modification to making sure you could age in place to provision of home care in the home that you need to really plan for as expenses coming down the uh, down the pike. Exactly. And, and health care is one of the biggest, I think, the biggest reason why people de- declare bankruptcy. Isn't that true? Uh, absolutely. Uh, and I think, you know, when it comes to, to health care, that uh, we're very fortunate in our country that a majority of it is paid for our government, but there are still many out-of-pocket costs. So for the family caregivers out there, the average family caregiver pays $7,000 a year to take care of a loved one. Uh, and so the cost to individuals of uh, poor health is is really being borne by families. Uh, and so it's not just the uh, one-off procedures uh, that you're playing roulette with. It's just the day-in, day-out cost of aging. So true. And I want to dig into the caregiver side of things. But before we do that, let's talk a little bit about the workforce. Um, mm-hmm. And as lifespan increases, the concept of retirement is shifting. People are staying in the workforce longer, as you mentioned, and want to. So can you elaborate on some of those workforce trends? You know, COVID has you know, changed so many things about our society. But one of the things that it has helped uh, in terms of workforce longevity is the ability to have remote work. Uh, And so I think we're seeing older adults have the opportunity to work in fields where their expertise uh, can be leveraged and not be geographically bound. Uh, And so we're seeing that in a couple of spaces and actually most interestingly in some tech roles where older adults have technology knowledge because they were there building the products in the 60s, 70s and 80s that that a younger workforce doesn't have. Um, But I think one of the things that's a challenge still for workforce longevity is the ageism inherent in the workplace. Um, It's interesting if you think about DEI initiatives and how wonderful they've been in the workplace, age is actually not one of the isms that is typically addressed. Uh, And that is something that while we are a venture capital firm focused on businesses that uh, are high growth businesses and not focused on these types of issues from a business perspective, I would just say as more of a public service announcement, you know, understanding what your own hiring policies are and how you think about age diversity is really, really important. It's so true. I was just speaking with an executive from Modern Elder Academy yesterday who was sure. saying that they're moving to the uh, acronym or the um, initials MEA because they are not wanting to use the word elder anymore because people don't want to share that they were at the Modern Elder Academy because they're afraid of a backlash from ageism. And I think the other piece, you know, there, I mean, there's so many bad euphemisms, Nancy, like you can't teach an old dog new tricks. You know, that's a perfect example of one of the challenges of workforce longevity. And I, I think that's also then incumbent on talent to stay relevant, current, and, and, and value, not valuable, but to, um, make sure that they are upskilling and, um, taking advantage of all the professional development opportunities there are, um, as well as, you know, having passion projects, uh, because even think about my business partner, Alan Patrickoff, he's been an investor for 50 years, um, at age 85, he started primetime with me, uh, really a passion project, um, among other things. And so it is never too late. There is no such thing as not learning new tricks. 
And one of the businesses, for example, we're invested in is called Peppermint. And the website's mypeppermint.com. And that's exactly what it is. It's a place for experienced adults to go um, to you know, practice their passions, learn further, whether that's gardening or book club to starting a business, and also to figure out how to commercialize what they like to do. A great path for older adults is starting a business uh, because of their network and their expertise. Yes, that's so true. Um, well, you said in one of our previous conversations and and on the, the various programs you've been on television and radio and webinars, podcasts, um, that collective support is a crucial component of aging well and combating social isolation. Um, and you talk about that uh, for adult children as well as aging parents. So can you share some of the resources available for people in the sandwich generation, which I'm assuming you are part of that yes. as a younger, <laughs> younger, older adult? <laughs> um, well, and, with, with, yeah. absolutely. With, t- with teenagers at home and, and, and older parents, uh, someone said, it's not the sandwich generation, it's the panini generation, because we're in the hot press, uh, not just not just the sandwich. Uh, and no, I'm very lucky. My parents are healthy and, and wonderfully um, involved in, uh, in my life. Uh, the uh, this question of social isolation, I mean, the UK has a new social, you know, social isolations are, and our own uh, Surgeon General just wrote an amazing few articles on loneliness. Uh, in fact, the New York Times today, there's an article on loneliness. Loneliness is an epidemic. Um, it was exacerbated by COVID, probably initiated by social media, um, and it affects older adults disproportionately because um, you know adults over the age of eighty-five. I think something like eighty-five percent, fifty percent of them live alone. Um, and so, when you're living alone, isolated, it only um, exacerbates this issue of loneliness. And so, when I think about the that population plus the population um, of family caregivers. You know, if of the 53 million uh, family caregivers, and just to clarify, these are not professional caregivers. They're uh, folks who are caring for a loved one, uh, unpaid, typically untrained, that it's very isolating to, uh, to be in the role of a caregiver. And so what are some of those resources available? Uh, those resources um, are uh, everything from Facebook groups for caregiving and uh, those types of, I'd say, communities where you can um, find that. Uh, so for example, one of our or businesses we're invested in is a business called CareWell. CareWell is um, a, an organization that helps families get the supplies they need for family caregiving. And they have been working on their community programs because people really are trying to share the burden, but also get the support they need. There is a bunch of employer programs. So you might check your employer if they have a family caregiving or a caregiver solution. Businesses like Wealthy and Carolel and Ionicare, and there's a whole slew of them are really geared towards um, the employer market to allow employees to get that support and respite. And then lastly, you might be surprised to know this. Um, there are resources that your insurance company has. One of our portfolio companies, Empathy, uh, provides grief support. Um, and it is an end-of-life uh, business. In fact, you may find this interesting, Nancy. There's a whole Slack channel called Death Tech because there's a lot of startups in the end-of-life space. And what Empathy is offered by major insurance carriers uh, for bereaved families. And so, you know, I think that we're starting to understand that caregiving is uh, an issue that affects you know, so many Americans and there needs to be more support, uh, some of it in person and a lot of it digital. 
Well, Abby, we've been doing, we've been having a lot of conversations with um, that Panini generation. And it seems like one of the things that we find and that statistically uh, the research is showing is that um, caregivers really tend to not put their oxygen mask on first. <laughs> yeah. They really tend to go down a slope where they're not caring for themselves. Uh, I guess uh, women in their 40s are, are um, not likely to eat as well or take care of themselves. So what would you say about um, people that need to um, take care of themselves um, in the, at the same time that they're taking care of all their loved ones? Well, it's even, I'd say, exacerbated by the fact that 61% of caregivers work full-time for caring for someone over 50. So this is, is it's really this, you know, question, not just of, um, you know, part-time around the fringe, but also that this becomes a full-time job uh, for folks, many of whom already have a full-time job. Uh, and so the put the oxygen mask on first um, I'll be honest, is something that I haven't seen a lot of um, improvement on because, you know, it's very expensive to afford home, you know, private home care. Uh, and so the programs I've seen that are being offered by either Medicare Advantage or Medicaid um, are respite programs. And so you should definitely check your health plan to see if they have something called a respite program. There's also one of our startups, Aidly, helps family caregivers get reimbursed for their time spent caregiving. Uh, and so there's actually opportunities within health plans and, 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 and some government-sponsored plans to get reimbursed. So go to Aidly and check that out. And then the last thing is finding ways to finance this so that you can have support from uh, home care providers. So there's a business called HCG Secure um, that helps pe uh, people plan for future cost of home care. Uh, because if family caregivers can even just get an afternoon off to themselves, but they don't want to leave mom by herself because she has dementia, then the only option is to uh, hire someone to do that. And so thinking about ahead of time uh, and planning for those types of expenses would be something that I would encourage people to do. Well, and it seems like age tech, um, a lot of both um, at the, the government level and the private level that we're looking to age tech. I know um, Intuition Robotics just got another infusion of capital and we're seeing a, a lot of these age tech companies. Are there any primetime partner companies that you want to share with us that are in the age tech space that are helping with aging in place? Of course. Uh, I like to talk about everyone in the portfolio. Uh, we're so proud <laughs> of all your the children. We've, we've, we've made investments in, you know, I'm, I'm pausing actually, because when you think about the word age tech, I think it has a very specific connotation towards, um, you know, robots, which is what intuition robotics are. Um, and, you know, technology, uh, pharmaceuticals, pills, things that are new inventions. And I think a lot of the businesses we've invested in are what I call tech-enabled services because, mm -hmm. um, you know, aging and healthcare, it's a human business. Uh, and so it's very challenging to have, I would say, technology-only businesses. Uh, we also, uh, so, but some of the things that we're, we're really interested in are what is called more supplemental benefits, which provided by your health plan. And so these are areas where not just seeing doctors, but all the other, other social determinants of health 
like food as medicine. We're invested in a business called Nourish RX, which provides food and nutritional services uh, to health plan members in a programmatic way. Uh, fall prevention and you know movement as medicine, for example, that's what Bold does. Um, transportation to and from doctor's appointments and, and the pharmacy or the grocery store. This is critical for older adults who may no longer drive or have a loved one to, to help them drive. And so, you know, a business like uh, SafeRide helps with that. So all of these social determinants of health and of, don't let's not forget mental health. We're invested in two mental health businesses directly in the mental health space, Kintsugi and Total Life. But we're also invested in two businesses focused on social isolation, like Get Set Up, which is a live peer-to-peer uh, learning and education platform for older adults with over 1.6 million members in the U.S. Um, and as I mentioned before, Peppermint, which is really a community of, of older adults to, you know, a clubhouse, if you will, for people to gather and develop their passions and purpose. So I think this whole social determinants of health is a really big piece of, of the equation, especially um, accelerated by telemedicine. We've made several telemedicine, healthcare uh, investments, and, and Nancy, those wouldn't have been possible before COVID uh, because you know it wasn't reimbursed. Telemedicine was not reimbursed before COVID, um, and so now we don't know a world world other than being able to meet with our doctors uh, on video. But if you recall, four years ago, that wasn't happening. Yeah, so true. And and I, one one of the things I love about primetime partners is that you really um, look at the rubber hits the road. You're not investing like pie in the sky. And it seems like a lot of the startups that that didn't have a real market that just had the technology are failing. I, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of uh, companies that are not making it. So it, it seems to me that you, you're not just focusing on older adults, but the continuum of care and services as people age. I also think that it's interesting you say that um, because we're coming up on our annual meeting with our own investors. And so it's a great time to reflect on, you know, where we've made bets and, and where we haven't. And I think you're right about that. There's just some very, not basic, but fundamental infrastructure of improving the quality of living of older adults that, you know, we may take for granted that reaches other populations, but in this case, uh, it's just an underserved population. I mean, I'll use the example, you know, of menopause. Uh, you know, menopause, uh, women's health has been an area that has largely been ignored um, forever, uh, up until recently. Now you Google menopause and you get articles about femtech and all the new startups and the big businesses, and it's no longer a taboo term or phrase in the same way it was. But I think part of that is that it's just been a relatively underbuilt, underserved audience by entrepreneurs. And so we're really excited about our companies being able to apply technology uh, to really, you know, I wouldn't say basic, but fundamental issues of uh, housing, healthcare, and financial longevity. That's so true. I just finished um, the Playing to Win course by Dr. Bill Thomas, who, as we all know, has written a dozen books on aging well. Um, and he has a whole uh, session in that um, course on building a life plan and yes. how important it is. Um, but it seems that a lot of people are just so afraid. Uh, I, I heard from one expert recently that people are more comfortable planning their funeral 
than they are planning their years when they're getting older. So how do we convince or encourage people to start planning early about how they want to spend their later years? Well, not to to harp on this, but I think sometimes one of the things we've seen across a few of our businesses that are in the financial planning side is there's so much fear around running out of money. You might find this interesting that a lot of people um, don't spend down their retirement fully. Uh, those that can't afford to, um, they're so worried about running out. And so I do think that there's a lot of fear going on at this, you know, in this, as I call it, the back nine or the second half of life. Yeah. There's a lot of fear versus, you know, putting that to the side and being proactive. And so I think part of it's just an individual mindset um, and also surrounding yourself with similar people uh, who have that kind of mindset. But it's also about the, com- and so, so there's a mindset issue here, there's a communications issue here, and then there's an opportunity. And so I was just speaking with the founder of Next Tribe. Next Tribe is a community of over 100,000 women ages 50 to and up uh, who all want to travel. How fantastic is that? To just be part of a Facebook group and they would essentially offer programming and kind of content. And now they just started offering trips and trips at multiple price points. So for those people, you know, we know that older adults, when they think about their, you know, years where they're not working as much as they want to travel, great. That should be part of your life plan. Uh, Having a third or fourth career should be part of your life plan. Um, Figuring out uh, where you want to live and have, you know, not just be locked into aging in place because you've owned this house for 50 years. Where else would you like to try to live? You know, that's what Airbnb is for. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of businesses that can be applied to this life plan uh, if you have exposure to it. So I would just say we haven't seen a, a solution to invest in that is efficient at doing this life plan. So if Dr. Bill Thomas wants to work with me on it, I'd love it uh, because we all need it. Yeah, we were so lucky to have Jeannie Ralston, the CEO of Next Tribe, uh, on the show. And she wrote a, a great article about our business building life plans Uh but I, I think it's um, important, Abby, to normalize these conversations that, you know, there for the for children, we have consultants that come in and talk about what preschool our kids should go into and what sorority and fraternity when they go into college. But um, people are not really talking about these conversations about that which matters most to you and then making that happen. And and you're right. There is a lot of fear Um that comes into to play in this. So I, I appreciate all that you're doing and and trying to to have those harder conversations um, with people because I think the earlier you start planning and working with your financial planner, the better. And I think people do, uh, especially older adults, they are afraid of running out of money, but they're also afraid of not being able to leave money to their children, right? So they, oh, I couldn't possibly do that because I wouldn't want to spend down so I can leave um, an inheritance. Do you hear that? We we do hear that. Um, and also as more of the younger, younger generations moving back in with their parents, that is more of a financial burden for them as well. Uh, what they thought was their retirement savings is now, you know, a continuation of, of funding their children. Uh, and I think there's also just this, I think, I wouldn't say uh, erroneous conception, but there's also a lot of things that don't cost a lot of money that can be part of your, your third chapter. I mean, there are uh, opportunities to meet people, to be part of your community, to volunteer, 
um, you know, not everything has to be expensive. Uh, so one of the very interesting things that that I really like is through the use of technology, particularly digital classes and the enrichment, for example, as I mentioned, with Get Set Up, you can explore, you can date before you get married, you can try on different paths so that it's not one life plan that has to be locked in stone, that there's an exploration. And so of all the things that we've seen is that there's a real appetite from uh, folks who are at a point of transition, whether that's transition to empty nesting, transition in a life event like a death or divorce, transition from, uh, from in, in the workplace, that there's a lot more opportunity for exploration. And we're excited that there's companies that can help you support you to do that. Yes, exactly. We're we're um, Esther Greenhouse from Silver to Gold, and I are doing a webinar um, with E Cornell on um, uh, how to target the older adult market in the hospitality uh, and wellness industry. And one of the mm -hmm. things I'm finding in my research is there's just not a lot of research on um, older adults. You know, for example, we're seeing a lot of menopause retreats. Um, there's one in Costa Rica at the retreat, and we're seeing more and more of that. But what about a post-menopausal retreat? Well, first of oh. all, send me dates and times of the menopause one. I'm in. Um, oh, yeah. But, but uh, I, I, think, I think it's going to change over time. Um, one of the, you know, you basically your question is, there doesn't seem to be a lot of marketing or audience aggregators in the space. And in fact, while older adults control two thirds of the consumer spend in our country because of their wealth, uh, relative wealth to a younger generations, um, less than 15% of marketing dollars goes their way. Uh, and so what we've seen though, is one of the challenges for marketers is just how heterogeneous the market is, not just based on sociodemographics, but on interests and priorities and I'd say um, attitudes. And so, you know, as I think about, you know, the opportunity to offer any types of products or services to this audience, I think it's really important to segment and micro segment who you're trying to reach because you can reach those individuals. But it's when you have this blanket statement, I'm looking to reach seniors or older adults. Um, I think a lot of businesses, certainly the ones that pitch us, we, uh, we're not interested in that because we know that that's a challenge because it's, you know, people don't want to be associated based on their age. That's not their identity. Your identity isn't our age. Um, our identity are our interests, um, the things we care about, the people we care about. And so the more that we can get smart about how to organize activities like the ones you're saying that, that align with real identity versus numeric uh, segmentation. That's so true, Abby. And and I think I, I've heard a lot from aging experts over the three years of doing this podcast that they're so frustrated with the, the any kind of survey just lumps 65 and older mm -hmm. and expects you to generate good information from that when it's probably worthless. Exactly. So Abby, you're doing so many exciting things. What gets you most excited these days? Well, one of the things that you just we were just chatting about, which is how do we uh, engage an older adult audience to be excited about uh, their great life? Uh, and that is kind of when I meet people like you and other folks who are building content and community, uh, I think we get excited about that and are trying to figure out how we bring it all together. Um, I think we all would agree our healthcare system is broken. Um, and 
because older adults consume three quarters of the healthcare in the country, um, I think it's really important for us to continue to work on preventative care. Um, so, you know, everything from diagnostics and wellness to, um, uh, you know, hopefully not for prime time, but, you know, on the pharmaceutical um, and nutraceutical side. So I think wellness and prevention is going to shift from a nice to have to a must have. And I think things in that space really excite us. And then, as you know, I've talked about financial longevity several times. Um, I think that I'm excited that a younger generation, for example, I think those in their 20s are out contributing to their 401ks, uh, their peer groups in other uh, decades. And so the more that we can get people really thinking about financial longevity, it makes me much more optimistic for um, the options for people as they age. So I would say all of those things get me excited. Um, and then just the opportunity to work with, um, uh, I'd say, an expanding cadre of innovators who are just passionate about building for this audience. Um, you know, we looked at 1,600 startups in the past three and a half years. That number continues to grow at a rapid clip. And that's not, that's not going anywhere. That's going to continue. So I think the types of innovation, pace of innovation, and just the types of people working on this uh, it's really inspiring, and, and I'm very fortunate to be in the space. Well, it's interesting because a lot of the things that you mentioned that Primetime Partners is investing in are some of the nine traits shared by locals of the Blue Zones. I don't know if you've gotten a chance to see the new Netflix series. Um, oh, from- I read the book when it first came out. I mean, Dan is a is a, is a genius, an accidental genius. Yeah, but I mean, some of the things, natural movement, sense of purpose, family focus, belonging to community, keeping friends, those are all things that you're investing with that actually save health healthcare dollars in the long term because they keep us healthier longer. It is because so much of our health is behavioral. Um, the fact that, you know, our Medicare reimburses these social determinants of health is a sign that they've shown that changing some of those or influencing those nine elements that Dan that Dan catalogs uh, ultimately impacts your health and therefore is with, worth being reimbursed by health plans. I mean, that's the ultimate telltale of the ROI on it. So I think behavioral health is, um, it's obvious to people in their 20s and 30s uh, and 40s. And uh, that is a cumulative investment. It doesn't just happen later in life. You have to start early. Yeah, and Dr. Thomas, he he his whole shtick now is strength, purpose, and belonging as the key yes. to longe- healthy longevity. So, I I thank you for all that you're doing with all your companies. And um, I I don't know if our listeners know, but Abby was one of the co-founders and president president of Thrive Global, which was all about wellness and workforce wellness, and and it still is. So, um, thank you for bringing your wellness hat to the business of aging well. Thank you for having me and all the work that you do, Nancy. Thank you. You've been listening to the Glowing Older Podcast. 